You're listening to Revenue Vitals with Chris Walker. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Revenue Vitals podcast. This is your host, Chris Walker. And today I am thrilled to have the Chief People and Culture Officer at Mentimeter, Anna Golstrand, on the podcast. Anna, thanks for being on the show. Great to have you here. We're going to have a really exciting, interesting episode here. I can feel it. I'm super happy to be here. It's so uh, super exciting. I love the podcast. It makes you, you need to express (laughs) stuff in a clear way. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how it goes. Yeah. And so the reason I reached out to you to get you on the podcast, I think your experience of the past couple of years at Mentimeter has been super interesting. At first as a VP of people, then as the interim CEO, then as the interim CMO, and now as the chief people and culture officer. Um, So first, we're just going to get into that breath. Like, how do you do that? There's a lot of uh, executives that wouldn't be comfortable, like sort of moving into those different roles and things like that. What do you think is special about what you've been able to do here over the past couple of years? First of all, I've been a CEO before, so that's important, I guess, to, to say. So I've been running a digital agencies before in Sweden and, and, and in Finland and in Russia. But that was like a consultant agency. It's not at all the same thing as running a, a 350 people SaaS uh, company in hyper growth. I think one thing that I wanted to mention was like the importance that the management team is a high performing team. So basically, like I worked previously as a facilitator and like helping other groups to succeed. And I worked uh, quite a lot with like owner teams and management teams. And it's very clear that like we talk so much about the importance of high performing teams and collaborations and collaboration. But then we have a management team that is more or less like getting together, informing each other about what's going on, having some debate. And that's it, basically. So in many companies, not all, of course. So I I do think that one reason why I could take on this assignment as an interim CEO and also deliver on it was that we were very like consciously, intentionally with our management team the, the year before. So like how to get from a, like forming the team to a real high performing team where we're in each other's jam jars, actually using our full competence because a lot of us has like more competence than only the, the, the role we're in and make sure that we use like the collective intelligence of that group to really succeed together at Mentimeter. So I think that that, so before I went into the role, we were Okay, we're using this model at uh, theory at Mentimeter is called like integrated model of group development, which basically is a you do a test and you get to know where your team is at. And our team was at high performing stage, like stage four before I entered this role. And that made it feel very, very safe for me to take on this and to be very clear with what what is my strength, but also what are my weaknesses. So I think that was like a prerequisite in a way. What do you think are the key or what have you seen are the key things for a high performing team management team? I do think that like what you need to to know about groups is that you need to work very like intentionally with the group to make them high performing. So like, for example, in the beginning, you need to invest time in relationship building, for example, getting to know each other for real, not only your job <laughs> job role, but like actually like who is this person for real? What is this person uh, valuing? What's important to get to know their history, their ups and downs, like, you know, to real, build real strong relationships. So I think like that's the first phase. And then you need a very good leader, uh, like the CEO of the team that has a very clear vision and a clear direction, like all, all the things that we already know about leadership. 
And then you need to talk like after a while you enter this like conflict stage where like everyone starts to raise their opinions. And then it's super important that you acknowledge that you are in that stage and that you like do it in a constructive way, because actually a lot of groups end up not passing that stage, really. They are just having a lot of conflicts. They are disagreeing, but they never like pass. But when you do that in a great way, then you build a lot of trust and then you feel like, okay, I am here with all like this is what I got. I have all this strength. But I also have these improvement areas. I have these weaknesses. I'm, this is not my, this is my strength zone. So let's work here. And then you can see like how we complement each other. And then you start to actually act like a group that uses the whole group to achieve something. And people can be much more transparent with like, this task is probably you should drive you. So you should talk on the company uh, town hall because that's not my best game. Or, or let's put you in front of the investors and not me. Like you start to like, address things in a different way when you're at, at that stage. So yeah, I guess like in the beginning, being open and invest time in the beginning. Actually, I wanted to ask the question back to you because I have a, this idea of the American <laughs> work culture that is very like focused on, on another type of efficiency that is more like, let's like have short meetings and like clear agenda points. And we talk do, 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 five minutes and then a decision, you know, that kind of efficiency or effectiveness. While I do think what we're trying to do here is basically acknowledge that there's some things that are a bit slower that you need to invest time in, in the beginning to reach the super high efficiency that you will reach, that we are everyone is basically aiming for in the end. 100%. So you know, most people that listen to this show are either a CMO or trying to be a CMO or sometimes a chief revenue officer and some salespeople. But what I think is really interesting is that you took over the CMO role for a little while. And from my perspective, you ran digital agencies, so you're not foreign to the concept necessarily, but as leading a marketing organization in a fast-growing company, maybe you hadn't done that before. So what are what are some of the things that you had, had learned that some maybe perhaps more experienced CMOs could actually learn from what, you did, what you've done? And how are you able to take that on? My knowledge level within SaaS marketing was not as high as like Johanna, who, who is now our CMO. So basically, when you do not have that, then you then I needed to work with more what I know. And what I know, though, is that like I know how to lead teams. So I know what I need to do with my team, my marketing director team to make them a performing team, like to provide clarity and goals and structure and make them feel safe with each other and, and so on. So basically doubling down on what what I'm good at and then trusting their expertise in a way that like. If I do that and they are here for a reason and they have a lot, lot of knowledge within enterprise marketing or brand or product marketing, then that will like surface basically. We can then use use their knowledge. What I did not do though, because it was an interim assignment, I didn't spend that much time on the big marketing vision or the big brand vision or that much time on strategy and so on, because I know that like, Three months later, they will come in a new person doing that all again. So I did pause a few things that I know is important for a marketing team uh, just because it was an interim role. One thing I learned, though, that was interesting about myself is that working in people and culture is very, I would say, slow, slow motions. Like you invest in learning and it takes a bit of time before you get the return on that investment. You invest in leadership and it's not really like clear, like you did that training and then now everyone excels. It's not, it's not really how it works. You invest in culture. We have like, for example, our lunch, free lunch at Mentimeter, which is an investment in building relations and building trust between people and psych psychological safety, but it's very slow motions. 
Then when I came into marketing, I realized like, oh my God, this is such a gamification, extrinsic motivation game, <laughs> which was like very like strange for me because I, I'm more used to being like intrinsically motivated, like by impact and learning and those kind of things like slow motions. And then I went into marketing. There was so much like extrinsic things like I could go into this dashboard and look at that campaign and how did it deliver and like all that, which I think I got a bit carried away with in a way. So I do think like now when I reflect on this period, I should have used my slow motion thinking a bit more because I can relate like, for example, working with brand, working with brand awareness or thought leadership or PR, those are slow motions. So like, but I got fully into this like <laughs> attribution ROI, like because it's like rewarding, you know, it's like you get something and it's like, oh God, we are doing things because I can see that it works. So, so that was like, uh, you know, when you have the pendulum, do you say that? Like it went like this and then now I needed to remind myself, but okay, Anna, it's rewarding for sure, but you need to understand that just because it's rewarding and it's rewarding, you get this quick um, dopamine kicks. It does not mean that that's the only thing you need to do as a CMO. So that was a interesting learning. Hmm? It's a super interesting call out because my belief is that a lot of marketing teams actually get trapped in the fast motion. And I believe that most of the, the best well-executed marketing that actually drives business results are the slow motions. And slow motion doesn't necessarily mean that you get slow results. It just means that you're just like if you think about the leadership stuff, right? You do some of the leadership stuff, it's a slow motion, but you probably see impact in a relatively short period of time, even though it feels slow. I think that's a super interesting call out. Something that's happening right now, I just spent a lot of time talking to external marketers, right? And you you mentioned in a post recently about how HR and D&I are being, uh, what do we have here, disproportionately affected by the economy. But I would say that marketing budgets and marketing personnel and even sales personnel are being disproportionately affected as well, given you know <laughs> the economy is slow, slowing down, customer acquisition, therefore market demand goes down, customer acquisition cost goes up, you need to make those recorrections in the business. So those roles are being disproportionately affected too. And so what do you think are some of the main activities or drivers that companies can use to improve culture in a slow down type of economy like we're facing today where, there are layoffs in a bunch of different departments. I talk to marketers where they work at the most well-funded, quote unquote, sexiest companies out there and call me and say, I hate my job. I've been here for nine months. I want to think about moving on. Typically, what I say to them is the grass is always greener on the other side. We're in a down economy. You go from one company to another. The challenges you're facing there are most likely challenges you're going to face somewhere else. Um, and so what do you think are some of the drivers and, and actions companies could take in any department, right? HR, D&I, marketing, sales for regards to culture. No, but I, I do think, or I see that like what happens when we go into this down economy is that we increase, of course, focus on productivity, efficiency, return on investment and so on. So that happens. And then that starts with like the board saying something. And then it goes to the CEO. And then the CEO starts to talk about it in the management team. And then the management team, like, so you get like this pressure, like now we really need to like, step up our game. And what happens usually, and what I can see also at Mentimeter is happening a bit, is that we go into this like control and command leadership style, which is more like we feel that the method to do this is needs to be much more directive and much more like, 
like suddenly we want to know everything that's going on. Are we spending the time right? And like, who's doing what? And how much time do we spend in meetings? And how much, you know, you start to act in a very different way, basically, as a leader. Uh, you give like a much more like detailed feedback and uh, much more corrective feedback. And so you start with these new behaviors. So I do think that we as leaders probably like need to approach the challenge the same way as we are approaching a challenge in uh, when the economy is going up. So basically the challenge is still the same, like increased return on investment, more productivity, better like efficiency. It's still the same challenge. But like, how do we usually approach things? We usually not approach things by going into details or or being like obsessed about um, about what people, how people are spending their time. So I think we need to like be able to have two thoughts in the head at the same time in a way. So do the same kind of leadership that we did before, which is more like uh, inspirational, trusting people, trusting people's judgment. So that we need to do, but with another goal in the end. Because what happens otherwise is that we start to do a more like fear-based uh, leadership where people start to feel very controlled. Uh, we're starting this like down spirals in a way where people feel controlled and they feel like, oh my God, I did this mistake and someone saw it and I was corrected. And they and actually they lose self-esteem. They start to do more, more, uh, more mistakes. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because yes, I am doing mistakes. And that person said that I was doing mistakes and now I am doing it. So I'm a worthless uh, person, but it's the same person. It was the same person who was delivering great. So it's just that we are like putting on other, like we're triggering other, other type of, of reactions. So for me, for example, it's like, I think one like leadership method that I, I do think works very well is like the idea of that you're having like QBRs or whatever, like something that is happening on a regular basis where you ask the questions that are important for people to reflect on. So if you want people to be more efficient, then ask about efficiency. If you want people to have like higher focus on return on investment, then ask about return on investment. But it's still like you give people the autonomy. They are preparing the pre-read. They are standing in front of their colleagues. They are presenting how they're doing things. They are still in control. It's not that we have changed our, our methods or ceremonies just because we are in a, uh, in a downturn economy. And you speak on these topics quite a bit at conferences and other places like that. And so I'd be curious, what are you seeing outside of Mentimeter? I'm sure you talk to a lot of CEOs, chief people and culture officers, CMOs even. Like outside of your company, what are some of the trends that you're noticing when you talk to other people in the industry? But I I do think that one trend is actually what I described now that you have had this um, during when everything is great, like you've had this super like uh, fun, engaging culture where you invest in your employees and team experiences and all like you have had that. And then there's uh, this focus on performance or efficiency. And then you think that you need to bring in other leaders. That is those persons who will fix that. But then you do the mistake that you're you're going <laughs> that you're totally going the other the other way so then you get like you get a leadership that is uh, probably like dysfunctional in, in some way or or fear based or so so you're i mean the ambition i understand the ambition but it's so easy that like suddenly this is what everyone's talks about and then it impacts our recruitment it impacts everything and then suddenly we have recruited a bunch of people that have completely different values or or mindset. So I, I do think like we need to maybe believe a bit more in ourselves 
that like what we were doing last year or two years ago, that we actually know what we're doing and we, we just need to apply our skills in a new in a new context. So I've heard actually companies doing that mistake, basically like recruiting the, the wrong leaders and then the, having to work with that problem instead. <laughs> uh, basically burnout, people leaving because they like have a stomach ache before going to work or just being fear of doing high, uh, fear of doing mistakes. And, and that's not how you build innovation. And like innovation is what's going to get you out of this situation you're in. So so that trend for sure. Now oh, you need to help me a bit here. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so some other trends that I'm like seeing, hearing from a lot of people is that people are way more people are looking for a new job, but way less people are actually getting a new job. <laughs> right. So you got a bunch of people in a companies that are looking for a new job, but the whole job market's down. It's way more competitive. People have been laid off. There's a way larger talent pool that are looking for jobs. And so... Um, you sort of interpret, right, that you have a bunch of people that are not 100% in it in the current company, but are not leaving the current company either, right? And this is like across the board, I hear it from people that used to work at my company and now move somewhere else. And are like, like, it's been nine months, I just wish I stayed at your company, you know what I mean? So people have sort of like buyer's remorse if they do end up changing jobs, which I think is super fascinating. That's one that I'm seeing in particular when I talk to people, it feels like everybody's looking for a job and they have a current role, right? They're, so they're in a current role, but they acknowledge they're looking for another job, but they're not getting another job. And that's for sure very demotivating for that person because that person is not in, like invested in the job they have right now where they are. Yeah, no, but I, I, I can see that. And I do see that what you said before, like the, the grass is not greener. I do believe like you know what you got, but you don't know what you will get. But I, I do think like some self-leadership here for people like to really like sit down and write like what is missing here, basically. Because like the whole sauce industry right now, I mean, probably the, what they are experiencing, everyone is experiencing. So so that, that will not be different if they go to another workplace. So I think it like comes down to like, okay, but what am I really missing then? And maybe it is like... Uh, it can be other things and then start to to be in your like circle of influence for that specific thing, whether it's having a talk with your manager or giving feedback. Uh, like, I mean, it's so easy to think that a new job is the solution, but maybe the solution is, is closer than, than you think. And basically that you are like 95% in control actually of, of the solution within the company you're already at, because it, this has a lot to do with with motivation, with mindset, with being in control of your own learning and development and being in the driver's seat, basically. So like, why have you lost motivation? Like to ask the hard questions to yourself, I guess. Yeah, it's such an empowering mindset to realize that you're in control. Yeah, and I, and I do think like, because uh, we also had a chat, you and me, about like, I, I wrote this post on LinkedIn when I, I stopped being a CEO, CEO that I felt this like, uncomfortableness and like a big void actually like because I I lost that like that position and the the relationship with the team with the management team that I had and, and so on and I I do think that that for me that was also very clear that even if I, I am very like have very high thoughts about myself when it comes to my own self uh, leadership and also like to understand my emotions and to regulate them and so on but it was very clear for me that like okay if I I mean, I'm a very privileged person. 
I have a great job at a great company. <laughs> I will go uh, back to my chief people and culture officer role where we have amazing, interesting opportunities. It's really like motivates me a lot. But even like rationally, if I knew that, I was still experiencing a lot of like negative emotions to not being a CEO anymore. So, I mean, if that happens inside me, and I, I would say that I'm, I'm like... I'm good at reflecting. So I'm, I'm good at separating emotions from reality or what to say. And I have a very like clear plan for me. And I, I knew that this is basically 98% just in my mind. It's like thinking like it's ghosts basically. But imagine then someone, I mean, I'm 42 years old. Imagine someone that is new in their career that has experienced a lot of like negative emotions because of the uncertainty in the world, but can't really sort it. Like what is what here? And then I understand that it's very easy to take the decision like, is the company's fault or is my manager's fault? Or I just quit. I go somewhere else where my, like, someone will understand me, <laughs> like, you know. So that's why for at Mentimeter, we actually, like, train everyone in understanding more about the brain and how the brain works and social threats and negative emotions and what happens when you're suppressing negative emotions and that you need to separate emotions from actions. Like people can think whatever and we can have empathy with each other's uh, emotions, feelings, but we need to be take responsibility of our actions. So, I mean, I took responsibility by not uh, quitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, to your point about people that are younger or newer in their career, if you're less than 35, you haven't been through an economic time like this in your career, including my, myself included in that bucket. And I think a lot of people that haven't been through that cycle don't understand how it works, don't have the experience in how it works. And so they may interpret it or see it a little bit differently than exactly what it is because they just haven't experienced it before. It's been crazy. We've been in a up and to the right economy for at least a decade now. And so it's hard for people to see that these are normal cycles and what we went through over the past 10 years is not necessarily normal forever. So I think a lot of people will reflect back on this in the future and see that it was a really interesting learning opportunity and something that will happen again in cycles like it always had for since the economy has been started. And about this, I had a thought that I, so one advice that I actually have about people in, or have your culture is that the companies who talked about their company culture as a family, I think that is a big no-no. I, I think they are in a, in a worse place now if they need to do layoffs or or whatever when because then people feel that like nothing you said before was true basically so i do think it's super important when you are a business that like if you work in hr as i do i mean we invest a lot in our learning in our in our teams uh, in psychological safety and all that but we are a business we are not a family because a family if you do one example, if you do a big mistake in a family or you go to jail for a few, few years or something, most families, they will not, um, you're still part of the family. You still get, you still get the love. <laughs> so that is a family, like the, the unconditional love. While at work, I mean, if we just look at behaviors, you can't actually behave the way, <laughs> the way you want. There, there is something there, but also the business part. So basically the it is still like everything we do is because we want to deliver value to our customers. And when we deliver value to our customers, then uh, we will, if we do it right, be a profitable company. Profitable company. And that is like the, the goal of having a company. So I think that like it's hard when you have 
double down too much in your internal communication with the, the family. Um, yeah. The family coach. Another trend that I am seeing and I'm hearing about, I actually heard about it first in the sales department and then sort of noticed it is that this ridiculous amount of salary inflation that happened in 2021 and 2022 given where the job market was and people were fighting for talent and money was so cheap that you end up bringing people in for 50% more than what they should be paid now, which could be why some people are struggling to change jobs, right? So, and it it's happened to me too. In 2021, 2022, I used to get paid 30 to $50,000 for an hour to speak. Now I'd be lucky to get 10 to 20K. And it's, so it's across the board, that type of thing is happening, but it keep people that have inflated salaries might be at more risk if there's a reduction in force or things like that, bigger salaries, things like that, and more difficult to change jobs because people don't want to go backwards, especially in their salary. Once they decide they make 200K, they're like 200K is the floor. I'm only going up from here. And I think that there was a lot of artificial inflation in salary and compensation that happened in 2021 and 2022 that will at some point need to be corrected. Yeah. And also now we have another conversation, which is about like, now the real inflation is happening. So everything is getting more expensive. And then there's like this discussion, like, should that also impact our, our salaries that are already on a high level? So it's like, but but I do think like when we were, were working with it, this at Mentimeter, it's actually that we, so our, our tool, Mentimeter, is basically like a, a way to engage the audience much more in your meeting or pres- presentation or training or, or whatever. So it's like a, like interactive. I do something here and it appears on the screen. Or uh, So what we do actually, which is, has been very successful is like when uncertainty, like when certainty is low, so it's high uncertainty, which is it is, then we need to be much more better at information and transparency. So we use like, we do like ask me anything very, very often. So we like introduce a topic, we talk about something like our strategy or vision or product um, product updates or something like that. Uh, but we also leave room. So we have our company all hand every second week and we leave room for questions. And we also have this like anonymous possibility to start to ask questions. You don't need to feel embarrassed or like, why am, am I asking about this? And what happens then is that then we get to know what people are really worried about or thinking about. And we can also address those questions as leaders. And then it's very, so it's like a lachmus test. Do you say that in English? Like, yeah. uh, exactly. So you get like an, an idea of what's really going on. And quite often, I mean, we spend 40 minutes talking about something, but that was not at all what people needed to, to hear. So uh, then you also get an idea of, that you need to talk maybe more about salary strategy or, and we also make it possible for people to ask those hard questions, like will we increase salaries because of inflation? And then we have like senior leaders talking in front of everyone saying like, this is how it works. Uh, this is how we can run this company in a, in a sustainable and um, responsible way. This is how our salary strategy is. We are not doing any adjustment just because this like temporary change in economy. This has been our approach from the start. And then you get like, you open up a window to answer that question that 50 people upvoted. So it was something there basically. So, so I do think that, I mean, these times are testing us as leaders to, do we know our first principles? Do we know the why behind why we're doing what we're doing at our company? Because if we know the why, it's quite easy to answer these questions, even if it's uh, you didn't know about it. It's, it's, you get like, oh, okay, 
But if we don't know our why, I mean, if we don't know in the management team, for example, our leaders do not understand why we're doing things as or having the principles or the ways of working that we have, then it's super hard to answer this kind of question. So it's like, a, I would say it's like the best leadership school ever <laughs> to let people answer whatever, or ask whatever, and then stand up and say either an answer or thank you for this. I had no idea or I don't actually know, but I will get back to you or like whatever. Uh, but it builds a lot of trust and credibility and it tests you if you know, if you know the why. <laughs> Anna, this has been super informative and super different than what we normally cover on the Revenue Vitals podcast. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing some insights that I know that all leaders would will get a lot of value from. If you've listened to the Revenue Vitals podcast before, you know what's coming next. If not, I'm still going to ask you. And so uh, at this point, if you have a couple of questions that you'd like to direct back to me, some things that you're you know seeing in the market or you're wondering about for your business, we'd love to uh, take one or two questions now, hmm? however I can help. Uh, no, but I, I guess like you who talk to a lot of uh, marketing departments, like the, the CMO, for example, to be able to have this balance between the, as you say, the, the slow motions and the, the brand and all, all those investments and keep those, uh, but also show the, the return on investment. Like what recommendations do you have for, for CMOs? Like where can they get inspiration, I guess? And also like, what kind of conversations do they do they need to have in the in the management team so they're not ending up doing the wrong things uh, long term yeah i mean i think what's happened over this time and will continue to happen is that as marketing budgets are being scrutinized more and often declining and i think that budgets going down is a good thing for marketing because i think there was so much waste and frivolous behavior in 2021 and 2022 but it also it also encourages and forces the short term, short hit type of vanity metric behavior, direct ROI behavior that often doesn't drive the actual end business result that you want. Um, and so I believe that we'll we'll we're going to see like an overcorrection. It really hasn't corrected at all. It's always been very performance driven in B two B SaaS marketing, and we were starting to in the 2021 2022 timeframe to start to move more toward what some, a lot of people will call brand or demand creation or things like that, that have a long lasting impact that are shown to drive better business results over the long term against performance marketing or shown to lower customer acquisition cost when executed properly. And we're seeing all of those activities more or less be defunded right now, which I think is sad. And a lot of companies that make this move will pay the price over the next 12 to 24 months for cutting these investments. Another thing that's happening that I see across the marketing department is that ex overall experimentation is being cut. Therefore, innovation is being cut. And they're going back to the tried and true things that they've been doing for the past 10 years of content syndication, Google SEM, SEO, and lead gen tactics. Um, and anything that's going to move the business forward in the long term is being cut or defunded, which I, again, think will companies will pay the price for later on. It took me a pretty long time to get the LinkedIn in my podcast to drive significant business results. We got results in the first 30 days, but if you think about how companies look at goals, they set ridiculous high goals on short timeframes. It drives the wrong behaviors and it ends up not giving them any type of the result they want. They waste money, they waste time, and, and they fall behind competition because their competition might've been doing something different over the past you know, six months to a year that they haven't. And so when we think about what we need to be looking at as marketing leaders, we need to be scrutinizing our activities against actual business results, not leads, not SQLs, not MQAs, not clicks, not content downloads, 
and actually focus it on what are the activities that are actually driving revenue. If you have direct attribution on these things, you should be able to clearly look and say, what are the things that are driving high quality meetings for our sales team that are leading to qualified pipe that are closing and which ones aren't? And then when you, and when you see which ones aren't, then you have to go and you have to make the hard choice to say, we're going to stop sending these thousand shitty leads a month to our sales team that never turn into pipeline. It's a very rational, very logical way to approach it. But there's a movement on short-term metrics and very performance-driven things that I think will cause issues in the long term for companies. I have one more. Yeah, please. So like I'm a, I'm a big believer in the, like the leadership being super active at LinkedIn and, and, and spending time there. But I am struggling a bit with, with my own time management and, uh, and also like, the, like to, to show the long term and short term <laughs> return on investment. So like, yeah, what's your advice to me <laughs> if I want more people in our management team to go <laughs> all in on, on uh, LinkedIn? <laughs> yeah, there was a uh, I did a podcast with uh, someone, Kyle Coleman from Clary, who talked about this exact thing. He'd been posting on LinkedIn for three or four years. He works at Clary. They're about a thousand people, high growing, high profile B2B SaaS company. And their CEO was questioning what is the, you know, what's the ROI and the impact of you doing this? It feels like you should be doing more of your your job. And he actually surveyed people at the company and asked, how many of you work here because of LinkedIn content that you saw? And they actually found that there was tons of of people that ended up working at their company because they saw Kyle's LinkedIn post, which then lowers recruitment costs, brings in talent, drives significant ROI for a company of that size that was never actually being measured or reflected. And then they ended up putting a how did you hear about us um, thing when someone completes a demo, they get asked, how did you hear about us? And they get to fill that out. And they see Kyle at Clary over and over in that, which then shows, damn, we're getting people that want to work at our company because of this. We're getting people, people that want to buy our product because of this. And their CEO went from questioning these types of things to now posting four times a week and doing a bunch of the evangelism like what I do. And it really comes down to companies don't measure it properly. They don't think about what are the right ways to measure it. They look at what did HubSpot tell us to do or what does an attribution software tell us to do when we measure our performance marketing tactics? And let's bring that into our LinkedIn evangelism program with our executives. And no wonder it breaks down and doesn't work. And so it really comes down to setting up the right measurement framework to report on the success of what happens. And that should be come from attracting talent, driving brand awareness, driving pipeline, there are so many different angles as to why. And then driving per, like personal career growth as well, I think, is another driver. And so when we think about time investment, like I've been committed to these channels since the day I started my company because it's core to our business strategy. We're going to get customers this way. We're going to be better at it than the quote unquote competitive set that's going to buy a $100,000 booth at the next conference. They're going to send direct mail. They're going to invest in cold outbound and spam and annoy their target customers while we produce content on LinkedIn that our customers love, which then drives affinity to our company. And so if it's core, it has you have to set up the right measurement. And it has to be core to the strategy for, for leaders at companies. You need both of those elements for it to work properly, in my experience. Ah, but cool. I, I mean, the, the people and culture side, that's not a problem at all for me because <laughs> I, I can see like just bitly links. I have like four thousand people coming to our career page yeah. just because my my post but I, I do think for us it's like since i work in hr and also hr is our customers and learning and development they are our customers so i my next step is to prove the business <laughs> the, the customer business value so that, that is uh, what i'm what i'm working on right now <laughs> it's the 
perfect situation for evangelism, the situation that you're in. You're in that role at the company and your product serves that demographic. I think adding the how did you hear about us, you would start getting the fact that people are are learning about that. So I think that would be the, the next core step that I would take. Mm, thank you. Amazing. Anna, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been so informative. Also love, uh, been working with the Metameter team and super love it. So I appreciate you being on the show and uh, look forward to continuing to work together in the future. Yeah, have a nice day. You too, see you.